Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskin-Lu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Chi-Zhang, a culture writer and critic, and this week's episode is a year-end special. Um, yay, we're finally at the end of 2020. Not that next year will be like leaps and bounds better, but <laughs> regardless, we are here. Let's, ju- let's just pretend. Let's yeah. just demarcate for the sake of our mental health. <laughs> yes. So end of 2020. Welcome 2021. So we're going to take this opportunity to talk about um, our favorite movies and TV shows of the year. So Pellin and I are going to have top fives for both of those categories, respectively. Um, but first, before we do that, Pellin, tell me, how is how are your holidays going? Um, they're going fine. This week has been very productive on the baking side. We've made sausage rolls. We've been, made mince pies. <laughs> Today I had baked beans on toast with okay. cheese grated on top and sausages. Damn. And fuck you to anyone who rinses me for that. You're it's going delicious. Like full, My farts full smell great. You know, I'm living it up over here, mate. How about you? How's it going? I think I, I'm falling a little bit behind on the baking front. I do want to like do all the the bagels the milk breads maybe focaccia or something i just really want to use up like some yeah. yeast and get into it now that we have some time but yeah otherwise holiday's been okay just like watching a ton of shit and just like yeah i enjoyed a, a lord of the rings rewatch for like the first time in probably a decade and it was good happy to report that they they are good movies they hold up they legolas hold up. still looks fine oh hell yeah oh that babe he was just out here making coochies throb for (laughs) all teens everywhere um it's funny you say that i've actually been on a star wars trip this Mm. week i love that we're just going back to being nerds yes um but i will also join you on a lord of the rings rewatch because we are going full escapist over here on criticism is dead podcast we are (laughs) leaving this earth and going to a completely fictional one yeah, join us. Let us know. Let us know what you're rewatching and escaping from uh, during this holiday break. Cool. I'm glad we're clearly doing very well mentally and emotionally. Um, now let's get into our end of year top five. Helen, do you want to kick us off with movies? Yes. Uh, first of all, can I just preface this entire podcast episode by saying top five is really fucking hard. Oh uh, like, yeah. All you other critics, very lucky doing top 10s, did not have that luxury. This is obviously self-imposed torture. But yeah, for me, it's it's personal. Like the top fives, the reason why I like them, it's not to say that other things are also not good. It's just like these really fit exactly what I like. And that's why they're in my top five. So yeah. also just letting you guys know. <laughs> totally don't come- fair. Please don't come for me. Like, that's just... Yeah, this is all subjective. But yeah, so we're not going to do this in any sort of particular order. I think we're just going to kind of go from the gut. Um, so yeah, how about you kick it off for, for movies, Bellin? All right, so top five movies. Uh, I'm going to go with Palm Springs first. Ooh, okay. Is that on your list? Oh, oh, yeah, by yeah, the yeah. way, by the way, <laughs> we don't know We don't know what's on each other's list. So we're finding out live on it. Yeah, that is also on my list. Tell us a little bit briefly about like what this movie is. So Palm Springs is a rom-com which stars Andy Samberg and Kristen Miloti. Uh, they are basically two strangers that meet at a wedding and then get trapped in a time loop. And then the film is about them trying to get out the time. Well, one of the characters trying to get out the time loop. Yeah, why did you like it? I liked it because I remember... It was like in that period of time where nothing was really coming out. This is kind of seen as like one of the the first like real quarantine new movies, new releases. But I remember it was it was a it was a fun watch, um but more than just like fun, it was like 
kind of a smart spin on a an age-old trope of like the the sort of like stuck in this time loop kind of thing um and i thought both of the leads they played it really really well so yeah it's just a really sort of enjoyable movie that is a little bit smarter than i think it it has to be yeah yeah I, it, the reason why it's in my top five as well is like i'm actually like a huge fan of rom-coms and this was a perfect example of a really well executed rom-com with great leads great premise done well kind of feels like it's low budget but um i guess obviously all filmmaking is expensive so maybe not but feels very down to earth like it just kind of felt yeah like you said it didn't need to be that good (laughs) um and yet it knocked it out of the park uh same for me in terms of like it was really like a savior of that early days of pandemic panic uh it was probably the first time i actually took my mind off of it (laughs) right and i think i think it will hold up um even beyond this sort of particular context so looking forward to rewatching it i guess in like two years and seeing if it how how it holds up so palm springs we both have that in our top um i'll go next yeah so one of my picks um and i guess i'll attach my own like kind of caveat which is I feel like I haven't really watched nearly as many films as as you or a lot of people this year, Felon. Maybe just because, like, stuff hasn't been coming out um, and I'm more of a TV person. But one of my picks is First Cow. Um, (gasps) That's my next one, too. Are you serious? Oh, my God. Look at us. Look at us. Taste. Yeah. Oh, my God. I guess so. Um, so, So this movie, it... I it's kind of it's a historical ish film um, set in like the early 1800s. It kind of concerns friendship between two men and the scheme they have to get rich off of the first cow in the territories on the frontier. And it is really sweet and sad and and warm, but like bitter in a lot of ways. But yeah, tell me, tell me why you liked it, Belen. So I've, I've loved Kelly Reichardt for a really long time. I think she's one of the most like underrated American directors. Um, she, uh, if, if you want to watch another film by her that I love, it's um, Meek's Cut-Off is also really good. The reason why I love it is because it's about the promise of the American dream in the way that it feels really vast, despite the smallness of the circumstances that you might be in. Um, and despite how much it hangs in the balance, you know, like it feels so big and strong. And that that's, again, this is set in the 1800s and it's about, you know, a Chinese immigrant and then like a cook <laughs> and how they become friends and it it feels like they could do it all and you want to believe in them. This is classic Reichardt where she takes something really small and showcases how much people want so much more for their lives or want to find meaning in their lives or purpose. And it's done, the way that she does it is so quiet. Yeah, quiet is the right word for it. Yeah, and it's just perfect. And like <laughs> the reason why it's also in my top five, this is the last movie I saw in the, in the theatres before oh, lockdown yeah I, I i like this film for for all the reasons you mentioned and i think that maybe even i guess you could say in spite of the dread like the ever-present dread i felt watching this like from the beginning or even like you know sort of the middle you kind of know like you have a feeling what's going to happen you know that the inevitable is going to happen and things are not going to turn out well and that feeling of like unease and dread is a reason why i don't know if i'll rewatch this anytime soon but it's beautiful in like tender and quiet um and just like heartbreaking and devastating at the same time definitely top five material for sure i hope she gets all the awards that she deserves from this to be honest cool yeah what's what's next on your list felon so next on my list this is number three for me 
um, is Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which you can oh. watch on Amazon Prime now. It's out on Amazon Prime. So this is uh, this is a film that's written and directed by Eliza Hitman. And the film follows a young girl um, from rural Pennsylvania traveling to New York to try and get an abortion. It's a really simple, ordinary premise, all things considered. Like, it's actually... that There are no real surprises in this, but... It shows how much of a developing country America is when it comes to abortion. It shows, honestly, like the little nuances, the dark crevices of abuse that women have to endure, especially young women. The transactional nature between being a woman and and the men. Trickery of certain institutions. Like, you know, when I'm talking about this, it feels like so much heavy hitting emotional shit happens. But everything that I'm talking about, very quiet show of hand from Eliza Hitman and it's just like you get you get everything you need to not not a word is spoken nothing is dwelled on it's just shown and then we move on it's really incredible honestly and like the main character it's played by Sydney Flanagan she's kind of like she never talks that much like she's not a chatterbox she's such a vault of like secrets which is exactly kind of how teenage girls are you know especially the ones that are going through it and feel like they're alone in it much like Kelly Reichardt's films are about like quiet shows of like humanity or shows of um, despair. This is this kind of follows that format. There's there's this one scene that broke my heart and nothing will come close to it. It's just like sometimes cinema just needs to show you how fucked up mm. the world is, and this is like a perfect example of that. Okay, cool. I'll I'll check it out. Yeah. Are you next? Yeah. Um, another one I have in my top five, I think, is Shit House, which will be familiar to anyone who listened to one of our earlier episodes. So Shit House, of course, is that it's a movie by um, Fresh, Fresh Blood, Cooper Rave, um, and directed and starring him. It's about this college student who's really lonely and um, and the sort of connection he makes with his RA who becomes, you know, a friend. Um, that kind of alters his his college life. Um, so we talked about it and how it really captures the the sort of loneliness and isolation and just the longing for home that accompanies going to college and growing up um, and does it in a really kind of mature and and emotionally um, just like very yeah emotion very emotionally mature um, but also refreshing way. So I really I really enjoyed it and I'm excited to see see more from Cooper Rafe later on yeah next uh next for me is Lovers Rock which is Mm. one of the films in Steve McQueen's Small Axe Anthology series which you can watch on Amazon Prime they have all five up there now there are other films that a lot of people a lot of critics have talked about you know Mangrove Red White and Blue um but Lovers Rock is the one for me it's basically a Cinderella story I would I would say about a girl that goes to a house party, girl meets boy, and then she has to kind of get back home. It's an interesting film because there are a lot of like very pregnant scenes. And I mean pregnant in the sense that like they're long and drawn mm-hmm. out. It's like sequences, like very, very long sequences that are paired with music. But the reason why I like it is out of the five films, it's the most like cinema with a capital C out mm-hmm. of all of them. It's very meditative. It's like an immersive experience into what a house party in London would look like in the 80s. And the way that it's shot, obviously Steve McQueen is one of the finest filmmakers of our time. Like his eye is incredible. And for him to kind of apply that to a sweaty room full of dancing people, like in their euphoric states, it's so transportive. Like it took me away. Like I was there 
and it got to the point where I started crying at one of the sequences because it really, really felt like, like, first of all, it made me miss house parties in London. Like, it's very, like, even <laughs> though it's that set in the 1980s, like, that's, if you go to a good house party in London, that's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. It's what it sounds like. And um, it made me miss that so much. It made me miss home. But more than anything, it's just um, the way that it captured the breath, the sweat of everyone, the the way that the, you know, the selector kind of like wheels the track and starts it again and again and again. And every time everyone is just like burst into like cheers and singing. It's just incredible. I haven't seen anything like it. Like I haven't seen anything like that film. I think a lot of people have tried to do that in previous years and they just haven't been able to carry it off the way that this film did. Yeah, Steve McQueen, shout out to you. Thank you for blessing us with five films this year in 2020. Like, incredible. Thank you. Cool. So next up, um, one of the films that I really liked this year was Minari by uh, Lee Isaac Chung. So I think it... Yeah, I watched sort of like an an early virtual screening of it. So I think it's not really going to come out until February 2021. But it's it's basically about a Korean-American family. They move to this small sort of countryside um home like to to try to start a farm essentially is like the the dad's kind of american dream um and then it just follows their family as they take on this effort while also you know suffering some some tragedy and and downfalls and and tension um and it's yeah it's a great again like talking about that the topic of the American dream, which is like such an elusive idea, but really it's, it's about like an, an immigrant family who they don't really know still how to, to fit in or find what they want here. Um, and there's a lot sort of getting in their way from achieving, you know, this, this ultimate dream. Um, but it's, it's also really full of a lot of love and, and, and tears and hardship. And I, I think I did cry while watching this. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. For sure. it's I hard think- not to. Yeah, part of it might just be, again, like this sort of like immigrant family connection, which is like cheesy, but true um, for a lot of people with the same background. Mm -hmm. So I really like this film and I would, yeah, I would really recommend people watch it when it comes out in a couple months. Yeah, it's, um, it's not in my top five, but it is definitely one of the best films that I watched this year. So... Uh, my last pick out of movies is uh, is Tenet because oh wow I was not expecting to like this film. Let me tell you, have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. Yet. I'm still sort of. It's been hard to <laughs> to like sort of judge the the critical reception to it. Yeah, it's, we- it's um, been I know weird. A lot of people yeah. who yeah. hate it, some people like it. Um, yeah. Tell me, tell me about it and why you like it. All right, so. I just want to say I don't like Christopher Nolan as a person. He's okay. he's a Tory prick. He, he has made some bangers. I'll give him that. The Prestige is amazing. However, mm. um, I did not expect to like this film. I really, really went into this thinking, I'm going to hate it. Let me just watch it to see what all the fuss is about. Just because the critic feedback, like you mentioned, has been completely mixed. This was the first film I watched this year where I felt like I was actually watching a movie, capital M. I was definitely transported. And I definitely didn't look at my phone once. I couldn't take my eyes off of the screen. None of it really made sense. And it did not matter. Not one bit, which I think is really impressive because I care so much. Like as a screenwriter, I care so much about the plot making sense. And um, in this film, when I was watching it, didn't give a shit just because it was so fun (laughs) to watch. Um, It has some of the most incredible action sequences I've ever seen. 
you know, John David Washington and Robert, Robert Pattinson. Just, you know, dudes being bros. Like, yeah. First Cow is also dudes being bros. Yeah, it very much was. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I had I had honestly such a fun time. And I'm so mad. I'm so mad that I was proved wrong. Um, I really thought, like, oh, my God, this is, like, peak Nolan. Like, he's spending so much fucking money on, like, something mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. And uh, I think in my letterbox review, I gave it three stars, only just docking two points out of the fact that, like, the plot didn't make sense. And yet it's still <laughs> it's still my top five of the year because it's such a, like, vibes movie. Um, okay, cool. That's, sweet. like, a surprise yeah. hit from you. But cool. That's great. Um, so my last pick for movies is um, a movie is called Driveways. Um, it's by... Andrew on and it's another sort of like essentially it's about a mother a single mother and her young like eight nine-year-old kid they're both Asian and the the mother's sister dies so they have to go over to essentially clean up her house confront like a, a hoarding situation and while they're there they form a kind of bond with an elderly next door neighbor, this um, a white sort of grandpa type. Yeah, it's another really quiet film, I think, which is a, I guess, a running theme with a lot of the films that I really like from this year. But it is again about the sort of bonds that that are formed between, I guess, like disparate groups and disparate people, and the the grief that they go through, the the highs and lows that they go through, and essentially kind of focusing on these three people at a weirdly like pivotal transitional part of their lives they just happen to occupy this the same space the same block um at the same time when they're all sort of like on their way to to the next stage of their lives um but yeah it's a really beautiful tender again warm film that i think i cried again for part of it and it's really good at portraying the the kind of loneliness of different people um as embodied by like the mother her son and this elderly neighbor who lives by himself so if you're in for like a another sort of emotional cry yeah um i think this is a good watch i believe it's available on showtime right now um and i think it i think it wasn't like necessarily a big you know hit or anything um but i'm hoping maybe more people will see it and also feel emotional as I did. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I'm always down for like a two generational relationship, like a, a really young kid and a really old person yeah. meeting. Yeah. Which is also another strength of Minari is like understanding that, that yeah. tender connection like, that you get from a grandparent type person yeah. and a kid. Yeah. You can't go wrong with that, yeah. man. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. Absolutely. Like, just like set it into any formula and it'll turn out yeah. great. Yeah um but yeah this is like that in a very sincere like pure distillation um so yeah liked it a lot and i guess those those are our movies of the year do we have it do you have any runners up no i don't think i had any 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 like honorable mentions for movies although Mm. i do have some for tv that i'll talk about later but yeah do you have any for t for movies oh man i have so many so give me like two of them two of them um yeah so I, I don't want to mention like any of the really obvious choices. Like I don't want to talk about Mank. I don't want to talk about Soul. These are like big budget movies that we know are good. Anyone can watch them. That's fine. I want to talk about Another Round, which is a film, a Danish film starring Mads Mikkelsen. It's basically about a midlife crisis and alcohol. That's it. That's mm. all you need to know. So you can rent that on Amazon for about six bucks, I think. And then 
another one that you can rent on Amazon for about six bucks is Black Bear, which is Ooh, yeah. I'm meant to watch that. So if you enjoyed Aubrey Plaza in Happier Season, let me tell you something. She's a fucking heavy hitter in this, mate. Um, but it's I, I guess thematically, it's about the creative process and relationships. Mm-hmm. I'll just say that. Okay. So yeah, those two those two are my runners up. Okay. But, Great. Thank you very much. So we'll take a break (laughs) for about two seconds. And Uh, now we're back to TV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we did not go anywhere. So now we're back with TV. Um, I'll go ahead and kick us off for TV, which TV is like is what I like to watch. Like I mentioned, I'm more of a TV person than a movie person. Yeah. I Um, mean... I think I'm 60-40 TV to film, if okay. I'm being honest. That's a fair that's a fair percentage. Absolutely been drinking up more TV this year than I've been watching yeah. films, for sure. There is some like there is some good stuff this year. So I'll go ahead and start in no particular order again. One show I really liked and still like, is it still ongoing, is His Dark Materials on HBO. So this is I think I actually I mean I read the it's based off Philip Pullman's novels, um, obviously, which I read when I was younger um when i was maybe like 11 or 12 or something and it if you've read those books you know kind of like how hard it probably would be to adapt that into any different form um they tried to adapt it into a movie like some years ago starring nicole kidman and they just like never continued after that um but here it is in like tv form which i think is a lot better suited to the 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 source material it's about a girl and it's about a boy who occupy different worlds and they meet each other and they're like different sort of magical objects and like witches and you know talking bears and but essentially it is like a sort of big work about religion and sort of philosophy and and theology tldr like it's about wanting to destroy like how to destroy god and like bring about his downfall um so if you're a fan of like paradise lost anything that kind of is a little bit more biblical um but maybe heretical in nature i think you would enjoy this um and if you're just in it for like great fantasy series like escapism i think this is another one that would be good choice so yeah it's still ongoing there have only been two seasons and i think there's supposed to be a third season which would match up with like the final novel in the his dark materials trilogy but yeah i really enjoy it it's like although it stars children it is not a children's like show it's not Mm. like a made for little like teens and tweens yeah um it's it's darker and kind of uh has a little more depth than that i haven't seen any of it but because I'm on this fantasy tip right now, I'll definitely check oh, it out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely, yeah, definitely check it out. I think that could out. be good. Um, all right, so yeah, the first of my top five is Normal People, which can be found really? on Hulu. Yes. <laughs> Listen. Okay. I'm, let me state my case. Why are you laughing, first of all? Excuse I, me. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I have no idea why I'm laughing. I can't I even can't judge believe I'm I being judged. I haven't seen it. Oh, my oh. God. Okay, first of all, it's so good. Secondly... <laughs> Um, just to kind of tell you a little bit about it, it is a Hulu limited series that's based on the best-selling Sally Rooney book by the same name. It follows the love of Connell and Marion from their teen years to university, and they're basically navigating their relationship through their own version of solitude and loneliness. So, I mean, this was a much-anticipated, much-hyped 
TV series. And I was very pleased to see that it was extremely true to the book. Very, very delighted whenever that happens because it's so fucking rare. But it really kind of gave me the essence of the book, which is really hard to capture. And it's it's because there's so much interiority uh, mm-hmm. with, with each of the characters. Uh, so for them to showcase it was just like a feat in filmmaking basically um mm-hmm. but it's good for all the reasons that the book is good you know it's it's about loneliness it's about grief it's about class it's about love and lust and all the things in between and you know being seen by the people that you want to be seen by or not by the the ones that you don't but yeah the main reason is because it's sad and horny which are the two <laughs> main the two main emotions of me um so it's right up my alley uh, what's next for Great. you? What, what's next on your list? Next for me, The Great um, on Hulu, which by now it's, it feels like it was released ages ago. I know. But it was just earlier this year. Um, so The Great is a, it's a sort of satirical look at Catherine the Great, um, the the Empress of Russia, um, and her husband. It stars Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt as the, the sort of Empress and Emperor, um, the, the married couple. And if you like you know, the favorite or any kind of mm-hmm. satirical comedy drama, slightly dark, um, you know, interpretations of historical events or figures, I think you would really enjoy this. Um, but it's a lot of fun. I, a lot of fun with some kind of a surprising bit of like emotional depth, um, but mostly just like great fun. And Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt are fantastic. I think they are having like the time of their lives as they, they film this and it really comes across. It's just like a delight to watch them play these absolutely like uh, wild and like bonkers characters. Yeah, like very, very cartoonish. Um, yeah. Especially Nicholas Holt. Like he's just oh, classic. He yeah, just classic, like stupid villain. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. But yet, like, sometimes oddly sympathetic, other times completely not. No. Um, but no matter what, still hot. So. You know, yeah. If you if you've been a fan of Nicholas Holt the way I've been since his skin days, uh, <laughs> this is all for you, babes. Cool. So next for me is uh, I know this much is true, which you can find on HBO. It's a limited series that's based on another book. This one I have not read, and the the book is by Wally Lam. It's directed and co-written by Derek Cian France, who's the director for Blue Valentine and The Place Beyond the Pines, and it stars Mark Ruffalo mainly. So it's about a man that takes care of his paranoid schizophrenic twin brother. And he, at the same time, he's trying to find out a family secret after the death of his mother. Keeping it very generic over here. But the reason why I love it, Mark Ruffalo's performance is incredible. Like, it's the best he's ever acted. And just to watching it for that alone is fantastic. But the way that they approach a lot of the themes of, you know, what it means to be a carer. What it means to navigate the systemic bullshit of having to be a carer for someone with a mental illness the fact that you know it's completely inert the fact that this person feels completely burdened even though he shouldn't be but because he's a man you know he takes it upon himself to be the hero and then on top of all of that what it means to kind of not know who your father is and navigate the world through that lens it's just really heartbreaking and me being me, like, I'm an emotional self-flagellator. Like, this was perfect. So I just, like, cried through most of this. It's a very vulnerable show. It tries to approach some very heady themes. And it does it in a way, like, through narration, through, like, beautiful direction by CM France. Like, he's such a good director. Fuck me. Like, he's so good at just, like, <laughs> framing up, especially when something really emotionally intense is happening. 
it just hits you in the gut every time and it was like that for like all the episodes that i watched it obviously very pleased that it's limited series because i don't think i could have been able to take any more but it, it's just a perfect it's a perfect adaptation of a book i'll probably never read like i think from what i've understood from the those that read it uh, the show is better so yeah would highly recommend i know this much is true i think it's been pretty under the radar actually and i think it kind of deserves a little bit more hype so here i am giving it hype so next up, I want to talk about something that is a little bit, I think, out of the the format for this. Um, but I want to talk about The Good Place, um, specifically its finale. So I'm not even really talking about the final season or any of the previous seasons. Um, since if you're not familiar with The Good Place, it started out great, got kind of uneven towards the, the middle, and then, but the finale, I think, hit it out of the park. And so since that came out, just at the beginning of 2020, I think it was like strong enough for me personally that still I have to include it in like my top five of the year. Yeah. I actually only saw the first season of The Good Place, but I have, yeah. I've heard very many good things about that finale. Apparently it was probably the, one of the best endings of a season, uh, of, yeah. of a series, like, which is impressive. It's really hard to do with them. So yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, so The Good Place, very briefly, it's, it's an NBC show by Michael Schur. You might know from like The Office, Parks and Rec, etc. The show, if you're not familiar, is about the afterlife and, you know, how to sort of like decide whether or not humans can go to heaven or hell. The finale, I'll just say like without spoiling anything, it is touching. It's smart. It's sincere. It really delves into a lot of the concepts that the show wanted to focus on, which is really like what makes a good person, what makes a good life, um, what comes after life, what comes after the afterlife. And just like all of these kind of really very heavy themes um, that philosophers have debated for literal centuries. And here is the sort of like NBC show that is tackling them head on um, in a really fantastic way, I think, especially in this finale. Um, so I definitely, I mean, it's so good that I went back and I rewatched re the entire series just so I could get to the finale again and like feel the high of that final episode. Feel the crescendo like properly. Yeah. 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 So it really, if anything, just watch the show for the finale. It's one of those shows and finales in particular that it does actually make you think a little bit more like after the credits have rolled and think about your own your own role in in the world and sort of what you want to do with your own life which is really rare especially for again a fucking nbc comedy yeah um what's what's next to you Colin? uh so for me is an obvious one but i couldn't not have it on my list but it's i may destroy you which is on hbo mm. what's to be said about this that has not already been said um so <laughs> for that for those that i don't know live under a rock uh, what it's about is uh, a writer that tries to basically pick up the pieces uh, after undergoing uh, sexual assault. She's doing this all the while navigating her creative process, her relationships, um, being internet famous. So the reason why I love it, the reason why it's in my top five is the reason why it's on everybody's top five. I think it's one of the freshest things that we've seen on TV this year. It's essentially about the gray areas of life. And yeah. it does it in a way that doesn't feel confusing it doesn't feel aimless or directionless it doesn't feel heady it's about the in-between that isn't satisfying but it is true you know like i've i've had been a huge michaela cole fan for ages like ever since her chewing gum days she's a true creative like she's incredible i think she is a creative that showcases her canvas even as it's a work in progress 
and tells you to really look hard through your discomfort just so that you can basically ascend it and that like that's this entire season and it's just it's so i love it so much for its unconventionality of structure you know the resolutions aren't what you you think they they're gonna be she doesn't give you what you want she gives you what you need and like i think i guess the final point why i love it is it kind of makes me hopeful for what i believe creatives uh like other creators can make without perhaps the rigidity or the traditional idea of what a studio wants or what a studio executive like might give notes on and it's just incredible like i I think um it makes you hopeful for giving people the freedom to try something new and this is what it looks like you know we, we keep talking about like especially this year it's like remakes and adaptations and all of this shit and this is some something completely fresh and it feels fresh and it's the treatment of it is completely new yeah, I, I watch this too. Like, it actually does comment on social media, quote-unquote cancel culture, and ideas of sort of, like, oppression or, or privilege in a way that I I really haven't seen commented on in sort of popular TV or, or movies before. Like, it's not scoldy. It's not moralizing. It's really, it's sort of probing at the complications and making you look at them and really just making you confront, you know, all the the different ways that these things can be used for good, for bad. So that was a really refreshing thing to see. Cool. Cool. What's next for you? Great. Um, so another one I have in my top five um, is Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah. Um, which <laughs> we talked about in an earlier episode on this pod. I really, I like the show. I like the show. I liked watching the show. I like spending the time with these characters. And I think it sort of falls along, you know, similar lines to The Good Place and its finale of like, what does it mean to be a decent person? And in a year when really we don't like, I just don't need any more like cynicism. And I don't know, like all the, the dark underpinnings of this year. Like if you really want to truly think again about like how to work on yourself, how to be a kinder person, how to hope to see other people caring for each other more, Ted Lasso, Lasso kind of fit in with the same. And I think that's why you see a lot of people coming around to the show on social media and really liking it lately. So the show, again, if you haven't watched our previous, listened to our previous episode, it's about an American football coach played by Jason Sudeikis, who goes to England to coach a Premier League, you know, football, football, a gay soccer uh, team, despite having zero experience. And just kind of everything he gets up to there. It's on Apple TV Plus, and it's a really uh, uplifting. Sounds fucking cheesy as hell, but it really is. Though. Yeah, it is an uplifting kind of show. Yeah, it's uh, radical kindness, baby. Let's go. <laughs> um, no, yes. it's it's definitely like what you said about the way that people are coming around to it. It's fascinating how like that's how a lot of the other characters on the show come around to Ted Lasso where it's like he's so saccharine and sweet yeah and then they just finally just like put their guards down and then just go in for the full embrace of that warm hug that's mm-hmm. exactly how it feels like watching the show like initially you're just like you're kidding me like I'm not gonna watch fucking yeah like you're like 10 hours yeah. of this man being corny as fuck like what are you talking about and then and then by episode two, you're just all the way in. <laughs> so Yeah, that's a great comparison. It's in my runners-up list. It's not in my top five, but I, I really did love it so much. There's, there's, it's mm-hmm. just such a different... Um, it follows the beat of its own drum, which is yeah. really, really nice. Sweet. So uh, next on my list is The Queen's Gambit, which is on Netflix. Ooh. Another callback to uh, a previous episode that we've done. It's another limited series about another book. Um, I have not read this one either. Uh, The book is by Walter Tevis. It's a fictional story of an orphan female chess prodigy 
as she ascends in the world of chess despite her addiction issues. So the screenplay is co-written and the whole thing is directed by Scott Frank, who is industry legend, wrote Out of Sight, uh, Logan, and it stars um, Anya Taylor-Joy as the main character, Beth Harmon. So the reason why I love it is because it's um, an extremely satisfying heavy hitter of a show. Like, we, you know, we talked about it previously, but it is a visual treat. It's directed wonderfully. It has a really, really magnetic lead. It's easy to follow hero structure, which so then mm-hmm. allows you to focus on the relishes of like the details of the dialogue and the relationships and the internal struggles. Uh, but it's 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 somewhere between comfort food and like something that's just really high quality fine dining. That's kind of how I would compare it out of the spectrum of shows. But um, yeah, I, I loved it. Yeah. It's um, really memorable. Cool. Sweet. So Queen's Gambit for you. Okay, now I am sharing my final of, you know, my top five for TV. And it is What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, I love What We Do in the Shadows. I just started season yeah. one, though, just so you know. So What We Do in the Shadows, it's an FX show. You can watch it on Hulu right now. It is based off of a, a movie that was also, you know, the same title. And it is about this. It's kind of like a satirical mockumentary style um look at a i guess mini coven or or household of vampires and when i say like you would think that we we would be over the mockumentary theme by now but they apply it in such a really good and smart and fucking funny way i think i i actually did like laugh out loud a couple of times while watching some of these episodes which is not something i ever really do like at most things earn like a a chuckle or whatever but yeah, literally laugh out loud some of these. And a highlight is definitely the character Guillermo, who is one of the vampires, like human familiars, and kind of following his journey from this subservient, um, obedient familiar into something much greater. Oh my god, don't give anything very, away. Like, I'm not gonna give anything <gasps> away, but to very comedic results. Excellent. I'm so um, happy for him. Good. I'm glad that his arc yeah. is being really invested in because he's definitely one of he's my favorite character. Yeah, and then all the 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 actors, the cast playing this, um, they're really they're brilliant. Um every detail from how they, you know, talk, their accents, their enunciations to just like the different sort of idiosyncratic Syncrasies they they imbibe in all of these characters um really funny show and yeah i think it's a breeze to get through because the episodes are only about like 20 maybe 25 minutes each yeah uh, it's basically like somewhere in between a family drama and a workplace drama uh, yeah <laughs> with you know featuring like vampires it's so good oh yeah and another plus is like they're legitimately like famous um cameos in here like a-list a-listers sort of like popping up in the minorest of of roles playing these wacky yeah. like other vampires or characters yeah i love that i love when they have fun with it like thank you i guess probably it's the it's maybe the fact that like taika waititi is like involved in like the original what we do in the shadows and jermaine clement um they're like pulling some clout to get these a-listers like tilda swinton involved oh man bring back the cameo they was they yes. were so big in the 90s especially like crossover ep- bring back crossover episodes as well like not Please. just shondaland ones um excellent i'm excited to get through the rest of what we do in the shadows all right so my final top five pick is how to with john wilson mm. which is an okay somehow i knew that was gonna come up um so this is <laughs> the reason why i'm laughing is because jenny does not like this show and um i, I i'm i can be convinced i'm only two episodes okay in. all right well let me try and convince you and everyone else um so this is on hbo it's a docu-series 
that's created by, you know, John Wilson. And it's co-produced by Nathan Fielder. So any Nathan For You fans, welcome, Mm. come in. Uh, This is right up your alley. (laughs) So basically each episode is a how-to about something and it navigates it through the voice of John Wilson. And it's kind of like a social anthropological study of New York and its people. And we see everything through John Wilson and he's also like really socially awkward He's kind of like an oddball character, really nasal voice, kind of like Kermit the Frog (laughs) Um, with like really (laughs) weird affectations. But I love it so much. It's honestly like I've never watched anything like it. It gave me so much joy. And like being in New York in the pandemic, it really made me miss the New York of before times, even though like the last episode of this season, he basically started filming that as the pandemic was happening. It kind of follows the same cringe comedy affectations of Nathan for you where like regular people and their reactions become really fascinating and funny uh both like to the camera lens and also to you as the viewer I'm obsessed with it like I I very rarely like non-fiction like I'm one of those dickheads that think it's like all the way over there on that planet (laughs) over there (laughs) and then you know here's his film like even though like I love a good documentary it's just like it's like in a separate compartment in my brain but I think this is it's such a marvel in documentary style shooting there's it's just like visuals of different circumstances that go over the script and it's just nuts how he got any of that footage other than that like other than the technicals I think the main thing that I really loved about it is like all good documentary like non-fiction style stuff it'll start off one place and then you'll end up going down a road that you did not expect and then all of a sudden you're looking at a grown man tugging on his penis to regrow his foreskin nothing has taken me aback in like the best way possible than how to with john wilson has but um yeah i really appreciated how it applies a certain kind of method to whatever it is that it's trying to get out and it does it in a way that's really it feels clumsy but it's actually really really intentional and the last episode is honestly one of the more like genuinely heartwarming things um i've seen this year and that one's how to make risotto and that's that's the that's the pandemic episode so i'm really excited it got renewed for season two um excited to see you know what he does next especially after this year but um yeah love it do you have any runners up yeah, so let's like go through these very briefly. Um, so I'll just like go rapid fire. So my honorable mentions for TV: um, Selling Sunset and The Undoing for exactly the same reason. Pure distraction. Um, objectively not great, um, but very entertaining. Um, content and a shout out to Perry Mason for the cinematography. Okay, Pellin, your turn. Any any rapid fire honorable mentions? Absolutely, The Mandalorian. What the fuck? Okay, <laughs> give me all of that. Um, episodic, clean, exact knows exactly what it is. There's a mission to be solved. You're done, Baby Yoda. What more is there to say? The second one, Alice in Borderland on Netflix. It's based on an anime, shot like an anime, which mm. is a treat, and it kind of grips you from the neck from the beginning all the way to the end. And then finally, Veneno, which is on HBO Max, which is about an iconic trans star in Spain. It's about her life. It's about her biography. Highly recommend it. Again, visual treat. Little bit mm, on the second half, but still worth it. Really emotional. Really fun. A lot of laugh out loud moments. And it's it's a horny show. Bring horny back. I want to see more horny in 2021. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, those are my runners up. I guess that wraps up our last episode of 2020. Thank God. Thank you so much for sticking around with us. I think 
this yeah. has been like two, three months of hard work, hard but honest work, and um, I'm I'm glad that we're doing this, and I hope that you all are enjoying it too. Um, so we do have one favor to ask from you. Um, it's the end of the year. Come on, please spare us a, a review, a rating, only five stars. Thank you. We have standards. Um, on your favorite podcast platform of choice, maybe Apple, whatever. We'll take it anywhere. Um, I'll take it as a Christmas present. Yeah. New year present. Yeah. Any a, of that. A little bit of a gift for providing you with some hopefully helpful, uh, streaming recommendations for the last couple of months. Um, but thank you so much. Um, as always, if you're watching anything that you think we should watch, let us know at criticism is dead at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Criticism is dead. Um, subscribe to our newsletter. Criticism is dead.substack.com for links to like everything we've been talking about. Show notes, whatever. She's a beauty. Definitely subscribe. <laughs> um, otherwise, I think that's it. See you. Sorry to do this. See you next year. Oh my God. See, see you, you next year. Okay, right. let's we're cutting ourselves off. Yeah, yeah, bye. okay, bye, bye. bye. Thank you everyone. <laughs> bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lu and Jenny Ji Jung. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Luke.